Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. Praise God. Welcome tonight. It's a great night. Wow, great, great worship. Whoa, good job. How you doing? Good. good? I'm doing really good. Thank you for asking. <clears throat> well, tonight is the very last um, CYA of the year, as Rob said. <clears throat> uh, I thought I'd do a Christmas message. And for those of you who've been in this house for a long time, I love doing Christmas stories. So I'm going to end the service with a Christmas story tonight. It's a good one. Um, Wow, I just love the house of God. There's nothing like being a part of of a house and a community and a people who love God together. Guys, you do not know what you have. I wish I could bring your attention to it. This is... We've been working on building this house for 38 years. And before that, we were targeting, you know, just growing the kingdom and building the house. And, and things have transpired. And now you're part of something that someone else built. And you've been past the baton. What are you going to do with it? You better not drop it. I'll be on your tail if you drop it. We want to move forward, amen? We're a part of the biggest revolution, the greatest kingdom, the most exciting adventure that has ever come to the earth. Now, what the enemy will try to do is to lie to you, is to kind of smother the truth so you don't understand the power of and the impact of the moment you're in. I believe there's... Now, you got to catch this. I, I believe there are just certain moments in our life that are, that are accentuated by God and he shines his light upon. And I believe we're in a moment in time in history that we'll look back and say, wow, look what God was doing. It happened to me when I was 18 to 23, 24 years of age. When the Jesus people movement came and the power of God came and literally millions of young people my age at the time, which is your age now, were birthed into the kingdom of God. Dramatically. In every city in America. And even here in Boise. And so I want to, I want to, I don't know, I just wish I could stir you in such a way that you would understand and discern the moment we live in, how great it is, how impactive. You're going to, you're going to, and I tell everybody this all the time, at your age, you're deciding things, you're practicing disciplines, or you're not practicing disciplines that will be with you all your life. What you do in your 20s has a great impact the rest of your life. So I just challenge you. The Bible says the young man bears his yoke in his youth. 
In other words, take on that yoke. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. But take on that burden that God gives you for what you're to participate in and with in the kingdom of God. You've been birthed in the kingdom and you've been set in a house. It's powerful. So, I hope something I say tonight resonates in you. Uh, I like, uh, <clears throat> I loved that you, you lit, who lit all these candles? Abby, good job. I came in and I said, yes, because I wanted him to light it at church today and they didn't do it. But uh, there's something about light and candles. There's something just about light. And it just, it just strikes a chord in us. You know, you turn off all the lights in here, it's, it's dull, it's dreary, and it's a little scary. But you turn on the lights, whoa! So I'm going to talk to you tonight about light and hope. Christmas throughout the world is a season of light. It's, it's our season of light. It's, isn't it interesting that everybody during Christmas season, they kind of put off their differences and they, they, they even sing about Jesus in malls. And they put it on the radio and TV and they're singing all these, they have no clue what they're singing. Oh, but they're getting the message out. It's just fascinating to me. And so we see this is a, uh, a season of light. It's a season of proclamation of God's goodness. And, and central to this whole story is a star. Isn't that interesting? A star is what led the wise men. And he became the what? The light of the world. The light of the world was born. Directed by a star, these men, these, this entourage came to Jesus he was a great star. He was a beacon of, of light and hope and led the wise men to that manger. And we, we, we kind of, uh, we, we kind of um, romanticize it in a way. You know, Jesus in the manger. Oh, it's so, you know, it's so just, wow. No, it's a barn. It was a barn. He had smelly animals around him. And Mary and Joseph didn't have, have any place to go to stay. And it was just, it was kind of, Messy and discouraging if you want to look at it in the natural. Oh, but God does something. The star is a powerful reminder that winter's darkness, which is now, and by extension, the darkness of the human heart, will, give, will always give way to light. The birth of Jesus shone light on the world like no other light in history. There's been no other light. And we're, we have been guided thus far, you in your 20s or 30s or whatever you're at. Luke 12, 46 says, Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. Uh, the other night, I, this, is just, this was fascinating to me. And I want to, Keegan, thanks for sharing your testimony on Wednesday night, Kingdom of God class. I teach a class on Kingdom of God to those that, of you that are taking it. You all should be taking it, but. For those of you taking it, and I had a few of a few just share what, what happened when the light shone on you. When all of a sudden, Jesus burst into your world. Changed everything. Keegan here. I mean, I was, I was, I was really mesmerized by your story. 
the, the cloud was so heavy upon him, he didn't know up from down, right from wrong. Messed, I mean, he was messed. And yet, when the light came, now this is what he said, this is the word, these are his words. When the light came, he started to think straight. Things started coming in order, and he just, it took what? You said six months or so uh, for his mind to just come alert to what, and, be, and, and, and have a realization of what was happening. This is what the world is under. Complete darkness. Many of you have had a similar experience. Maybe in a different way. But until Jesus comes as light in you, you, you will walk in darkness. You will make stupid decisions. You, you will fall off, off cliffs. I, I have to. Now, this is what I tell people. I'm always, I always feel like I'm at the cliff telling people, stop. Don't make that decision. There's a cliff here. Stop! And yet, so many times they don't listen. They step over, and guess who they come back to to clean up the mess? I'm serious. So if I ever come to you and I say, I don't think that's a good idea, would, would you mind listening? <laughs> I've had a few years of experience, and even if I'm wrong, I'd check it out. Yes. So light, God's light, is, is so very important. The, the plan of God, now think about this, the plan of God is to send the most vulnerable of all human entities to the earth to bring light from heaven to earth. I just can't, I still can't comprehend this. Sending a baby? Jesus, who is God, was in the womb of a woman for nine months in darkness. Think about that one. God in the belly of a woman for nine months in complete darkness. And Jesus was born like you and I, human, yet he was all God. It just defies my imagination that God would, would come to the earth this way. It's just fascinating. Maybe, maybe you guys don't think like I do, but that just, that just blows me away. The most vulnerable. In doing so, he's saying, listen, the most vulnerable can become a part of my kingdom simply just by following the light. This was God's greatest gift, the, the gift of light and hope. It was an event that actually lasted just a few hours. Think about it, just a few hours. A spectacular explosion of life. How did it, how did it actually start? Well, it started with, with uh, the star leading the wise men, but then there was an explosion of light in the hillside around Bethlehem, the Judean hillside. All of a sudden, there was an explosion. I don't know how far those, those people saw these angels, but it wasn't just one angel. It was a myriad of heavenly hosts. Host in scripture means thousands upon thousands. Singing, praising God, light. I mean, it was so bright they couldn't, they could hardly stand it. That would be a little shocking in the middle of the night. And uh, it was a spectacular explosion. Yet its impact has, is still being felt today, 2,000 years later. If, if you could ask those who participated that night or during the time when Jesus was in the manger, they would tell you that it was the single most important day of their lives. I will be able to ask them. We'll see them. The young mother who lay 
on the crudely gathered bed of hay, she would have, as we know, Mary, she would have other children in her life, but as she nursed that infant, cleaned his skin, cleaned his eyes. Now think about this. I mean, that song this morning with Koki and Josh, those of you who are here, I mean, that's powerful. Mary, did you know? Oh, man. And that brings us to what I'm talking about here. Did she have any idea what was happening? And she would tell you now, there would never be another day like today. The rough, strong hands of, of Joseph as he lifted this child, he whispered, must have, I'm sure, whispered to himself, there will never be another day like today. Shepherds came, wild-eyed. And when they gazed at that little baby, I'm sure they said, there will never be another day like today. And within a few hours, the day ended. It was done. And the manger was empty and cleaned of all semblance of what happened except for one thing. There was an indentation in the hay where the mother and baby lay. Why does that one day soften the hearts of the most cynical society and people and compel the entire world to say there will, be an, there will never be another day like that day? Because that one day, one event, was the initiation and the commencement. Now listen to me carefully. Of the birth of hope. Light always brings hope. Now you, you if, I, 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 I just challenge you, go back and look at history, at what history was like before Jesus came. It was dark, ugly, violent, yucky. You, I mean, you do a historical study you will find that the, th the things that we, we just despise or whatever, the, it, it was all happening at the same time. There was no safety, security. I mean, the things that we take for granted was nowhere. It was a world gone crazy. Then Jesus comes. Wow. You see, hope that man could become one with God Hope that the blind could see, the lame could walk, the hungry could be fed, and even hope that the dead could come alive. It all came alive that day. I mean, that's hope. Don't ever let the wonder of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ disappear. The, the, the awe, the, the wonderful expectation and when the decorations of this season are gone, don't let the joy of Jesus in your heart disappear. Because we watched hope become a man who became a lamb. And the lamb of God who will come for us again was birthed. And when he comes, we will look at one another and probably say, there will never be another day like today. I like Christmas season because of lights. You know, we, again, we have all the candles here. Uh, right, act, right actually around Halloween. I'm not a Halloween lover. It's just, yuck. 
I don't, I don't like the movies on TV. I don't like the junk, the darkness. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not light. Think about it. It's not light at all. It's, there's no hope in it. It's just all, it's all drama. It's all horror. And so my grand, grandkids who are actually living with me now, they, they said, Papa, we got to get some Christmas tree lights up or Christmas lights up. I said, already? So, and then some of you in October, if you remember, some interns came over and you helped put the Christmas tree in our, and then the kids came and put lights on it. They decided the color. They decided what to do with it, what, what ornaments to put on it. And then we put lights on the ho- outside of the house. We've had lights up since October. <laughs> Why? Because light brings hope. And there's just something about light. And this is why this season, there's no other season. Come on, people. There's no other season during the year that you have this, all this expression of light. In fact, people go around town in cars at night looking at the lights. And then there are light shows. You got one up here at uh, Sensi, and you got one over, I think, over uh, by the fairgrounds, and you got them in farms and all. Everybody's putting up lights. And they're all coming and saying, come and see our light. But there will never be another light like Jesus. That's why you have this drawing to come to church to worship. Because you want to be touched by the light. You want to have revelation of the light. There's something in you that's just drawn to the light. Many years ago, a house near the entrance to a subdivision They kept their Christmas lights up a long time, actually through January and then even into February. Those lights were burning every night. And you know how neighbors are. Why don't they take their lights down? So about the middle of February, people started becoming really really critical. One man said, I think I'd at at least turn them off at night. But about the middle of March, A sign outside of their house explained why they left the lights on. You see, the sign said simply, Welcome home, Jimmy. You see, everyone then learned that that family had a son in Vietnam. And they had unashamedly left their Christmas lights on in anticipation of his return so when he came home, he could see the lights. Lights are a symbol of hope. I mean, there's no, I don't know if you know this, but there's no other nation in the world like America with lights. You will not go to another nation and see such dramatic, I mean, everybody putting up their lights. I mean, almost every neighbor we have has lights now. Lights are a symbol of hope. A person lost in a lot. Have you ever been in a dark cave? You've been in mammoth caves or whatever. You ever go in there and turn the lights off? Oh my word, it's really dark and it's really scary. You can't even see your hand. You can't even see anything until there's a light. A person adrift on a life raft, what do they look for? They look, they look for the light of a ship on the horizon. People in darkness are always delighted to see light. Symbol of hope. And the world in which we live right now is engulfed in darkness. I mean, people, we have great darkness. And people are groping to find a way out, and you have the answer. 
That's why it says in the book of Matthew, we are to be the light of the world. A light that's not hidden. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the attributes of light reflect the hopeful impact that the light of Jesus Christ still makes on lives today. You have been changed because of Jesus. Come on, there's no other reason why you're here. You, I, I said this the other night. You didn't choose him. You had nothing to do with it. He chose you. He decided, oh, I want, you know, I want Abby. So he pursued her. And I believe, this is what I said, my, my theological contention is everybody in this room has had somebody that's prayed for them that brought you to the light. I believe that. Whether we know who they are or not. I pray for people all the time from the north, south, east, and west. I believe my prayers are bringing people. It's like magnets. Bringing them to the light. What, isn't it interesting how insects come to light? Birds come to I mean, they all, they all are attracted by light. The attributes of light reflect the hopeful impact that Jesus Christ has in our lives. When somebody, somebody takes a flash picture, what everybody notices. Have you ever been to a football game and they all you know, take their phones out and kind of wave them or they take flash? Have you ever seen in, in a dark space when everybody takes flash? I mean, it's just, it's quite impacting, really. Or if a spotlight is turned on a dark stage, what happens? Everybody's eyes, woo, right, right to the light. Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You're here today because of a light. Wow. So Jesus, his birth and light, Jesus attracted a lot of attention at his birth through the use of light. He was born to, pe now think about this, he's born to peasant parents. Who's gonna notice him? He was born away from home and there weren't any grandparents to Instagram about him <laughs> or brag about him. He was, he was born in Bethlehem in a small, insignificant Judean village. He was born at night when everyone was asleep. He was born 1,450 years before the invention of the printing press. He was born 1,900 years before the invention of the radio. And we can go on. Who in the world was going to notice? But, G, but God himself saw that Jesus attracted attention even at his birth. And that story has grabbed us ever since. We see the story of the shepherds, Luke 2, verse 8. How they, the brightness of the angel immediately captivated the, the shepherds. And they were frightened. Luke 2, 13 says, Suddenly a great company, the heavenly host, appeared with the angels praising God. Now, it wasn't just a one angel, as I said. It was a multitude of angels. And then they ran to see this light. I don't know about you, but I keep running towards the light. I keep wanting more revelation. I keep wanting more of Jesus. I just want to, when you're in the presence of Jesus, something happens. You, you just, I mean, it's so attractive. It's so uh, meaningful. It's so long-lasting. It's so... I just changes everything. The Bible says in Luke 2, 17, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had seen. You can't stop talking about the light. Can I tell you, you need to stop, you need to start talking about the light, about what Jesus has done in your life. Light was beginning to shine 
And Jesus still attracts attention today through the use of light. And you know, when, when uh, Jesus grew up, he, he, he ministered to large crowds, 5,000 men at one time. Another time there were so many clouds, crowds, he had to get in a boat so they wouldn't push him into the sea. And from the time he was born until the time he died, Jesus, like a light, attracted people and attention. He's still doing it today. You know, isn't it interesting? I've never had one person say that they didn't want me to talk about Jesus. I've had people tell me, I don't want to, I don't want to hear about your religion. You see, people, this is, this is fascinating to me. People may be turned off by your organized religion. And those of you who are in my kingdom of God class, we're not a religion. We're a relationship. Yep. We're part of a kingdom. Yeah. We're the children of God. Yep. And they may be repulsed. People may be repulsed by hypocritical church leaders yeah. or people. But there's something about Jesus that captivates all our attention. Yeah. Why? Because he's light and hope. Yep. That, that's what he, he just attracts. And it is our task as Christ followers to reflect his light. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So if we call Jesus in our lives, people will be drawn to him. But if, let me say it this way, but if you try to stay in the spotlight as a Jesus follower and you have this ego trip, they're always repulsed. What I try to do, and this is what I do, I say, uh, you know, you may like what I said, but it's not about me. It's about him. Yeah, I want to bring everybody to Jesus. How late can I go? Uh, it was John the Baptist. It was said of him. He was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. And a beacon is what guides home and airplane in foggy conditions. It's, isn't it interesting? It's light. A lighthouse steers a ship away from danger. And I'm going I'm to read a story about that. Reflectors in the highway, in the median, will guide a, a driver away from danger. And Jesus came just like that as a light to guide us. So we see that all of this is so very important. In fact, it was said of Zechariah in, in Luke it said in this scripture, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied that the Messiah would do this. He would be like the rising sun to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He's going to be a light. What does it say of the Bible? Psalms 119. The Bible becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light into your path. The Holy Spirit illuminates your conscience. See, it's all light. The Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself, it's all light. He will direct us. There have been many times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, that the right person at the right time, in the right circumstance, in the right protection, preservation, just at the right moment, God directed a person to help guide my life. does that for all of us. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Light is always more powerful than darkness. As I was saying, if you go to Mammoth Cave, you turn off the lights, it's going to be pitch black. 
But all you have to do, and this is fast, because I've done this before. And do you know there are some caves in Idaho? You can go up near uh, Shoshone, and you can see some caves. My uh, father-in-law used to go there when he was a kid. He lived just a few miles from there. It's dark in there. It's cold. But all you have to do is light one candle. Can you turn the lights off? Just for a second. Can, are, you, are you technically efficient enough to do that today? Just turn off these overhead lights. Get that light off me too. Turn the, can you turn the, the lights off the stage? Is there a button you push? Where are you drawn to? Where do your eyes go? Immediately to the candles. It's drawn to the light that's before you, no matter the darkness around you. And I believe Jesus today is trying to draw an entire generation to his light. But we are his reflectors. We are the candles. Okay, you can turn them back on, thanks. They find the right button now. Jesus came into a spiritually dark world. It was a dark hour, but the light of Jesus Christ continued to shine. When Jesus was was crucified, this is interesting, all through Jesus' life, are you still with me? All through Jesus' life, Darkness engulfed areas around him. But there was always light that came. Even as he was crucified. His body was taken from the cross, placed in a dark sealed tomb. But on the first day of the week, an angel of the Lord came from heaven, rolled back the stone, sat on it. And the Bible says his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. At every major, now you have to understand this, at every major intersection of importance in Jesus' life, there was always two witnesses and there was light. That's a revelation I just thought I'd throw out to you. It's fascinating to see this. The guards were so afraid at that time, they, they ran. They became like dead men. The dazzling light of God's power came into that tomb and it was more powerful than darkness, death, destruction. For Jesus said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. What was he saying? I'm the light. He that believes in me, though he's dead, yet, yet shall he live. And this is what God tries to do through us. I want to tell you a story. I, I love stories. There was a story of an elderly woman named Stella who was struggling with her first Christmas alone. Her husband had died just a few months previous to this. And now several days just before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by a a bad weather system and she felt terrible and overcome. So she decided not to decorate her Christmas tree or anything. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang and there was a delivery boy with a box. He said, "Uh, Mrs. Stella Thornhope? She nodded. "Uh, Would you sign here, please? She invited him to step inside and close the door to get away from the cold. She signed the paper and said, what's in the box? The young man laughed and opened up the flap and inside was a little puppy, a golden Labrador retriever. 
The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and explained, this is for you, ma'am. He's six weeks old and he's completely housebroken. The young puppy began to wiggle in happiness of being released from captivity in the box. And Stella asked, well, who sent this? Well, the young man sent the animal down and, and handed her an envelope and said, it's all explained in this envelope, ma'am. The dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift to you. The young man then handed her a book. In desperation, she asked again, well, who sent this puppy? As the young man turned to leave outside the door, he said, well, your husband, ma'am, Merry Christmas. She opened up the letter from her husband. He had written, three, written it three weeks before he died and left it with the kennel owners to be delivered with the puppy as his last Christmas gift to her. The letter was full of love, encouragement, admonishments to be strong. He vowed that he was waiting for the day when she would join him. He had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then. She wiped away the tears, put the letter down, and then remembering the puppy at her feet, she picked up that golden furry ball and held it to her neck. And she looked out the window at the lights that outlined the neighbor's house. And she heard from the radio in the kitchen the strains of joy to the world, the Lord has come. Suddenly, Stella felt the most amazing sensation of peace washing over her. Her heart felt the joy and a wonder greater than the grief and loneliness that she was experiencing. And she spoke to the little dog. Hey, little fella, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box down the basement I bet you'd like. It's got a little Christmas tree in it and some decorations, some lights that are gonna impress you. And there's a manger scene down there too. How about let's go get it? Isn't it interesting how one word of encouragement that brings light can turn our whole world around? God has a way of sending a signal of light to remind us life is stronger than death. Even for this lady, it's stronger than death. Even past death, this husband was able to bring light. Light is more powerful than darkness. God is more powerful than Satan. Good will overcome evil. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's what the prophet said. And in those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And the reality of that is that there's hope in this dark world. I don't care how hopeless it looks. There's always hope because there's always Jesus. Jesus came in this world to show us the way to the light, to attract us to himself and to guide us into all truth. That's what he does. It's about light and hope. I want to challenge you. I have one more story to read, but before I do, I, I, I want to say this. I, I want to challenge you in this Christmas season, get away from all your past stereotypes. Put it aside and ask Jesus for a revelation of light within you. And let me ask you to do this. Find one person to bring light and hope to during this season. At least one person. 
and just tell them, listen, I know it's bad right now. I know you're feeling, you know, discouraged or depressed or it's, it, but I'm telling you, there's a person that can turn it all around. And by those words, you bring a little puppy into their lives. Amen, Pastor Ken. That's a good word. I want to read one, one story to you. For those of you who've never heard me read before, bear with me. I love reading Christmas stories. Is it okay? It's only 8.15. And this is the last time. This... Uh, This is called uh, the story of Christmas Island. The New England villagers made, a, made it plain to Mary and Joseph Carpenter that they were not welcome. Then the miracle happened. This is a true story. If you were ever lucky enough to visit Christmas Island off the rock-bound coast of Maine, the natives will point out to you with pride and affection the home of Joseph and Mary Carpenter. True story. It is a tight, compact, freshly painted little white house set in the very center of the village. Every beam and rafter, every floorboard has been laid carefully by the islanders themselves in recognition of the miracle, the miracle that eight years ago gave Christmas Island its name. In the neat white house, 37-year-old Joseph Carpenter, his wife Mary, and their eight-year-old son live happily and comfortably, at peace with each other and with the world. One large front room is a sort of Yankee trader's shop where the villagers do a land office business swapping everything from boats to baked goods. And the islanders pay the carpenters for the space as well as for running the shop. And so even though Joseph is a victim of Parkinson's disease, he is independent and self-supporting. You would never guess, watching the villagers bustling in and out day after day, that there had been a time not too long ago when everyone had signed a petition to have the carpenters evicted. Not from this house, mind you. They were living in the lighthouse then. And this is where the story really began. For this is the story of the lighthouse on Goal Island. The lighthouse that gave Christmas Island its name on the 25th morning of December in 1959. To begin, Mary and Joseph Carpenter bought the lighthouse lock, stock, and barrel for $460. It was hopelessly run down. A derelict tower rising sharply at the sea's edge, unpainted, weather-whipped, with a ribbon of water separating it from Gull Island. But to the carpenters, it was their ivory tower. By trade, Joseph had been an automobile mechanic, a good one, with his own little shop in Portland. He was shocked to learn that September day, three months before, that he had Parkinson's disease, progressive, chronic, and incurable, with their first child expected in December. They didn't know quite what to do. Joseph's limbs were already getting stiff. Joseph's life expectancy was no doubt long, but if he were unemployable, how could it, the, he possibly plan a future for himself, for Mary, for his child? Carefully, he had checked his savings, sold his shop, counted his assets, and then almost as a godsend, he had heard about Gull Island Lighthouse. By a fluke of horse trading, it had come into the possession of a Portland merchant who was glad to sell it. For the carpenters, it was an answer to prayer, a seeming solution to all their problems. In a small place like Goal Island, the cost of living would be less than in the city. 
the pace would be slower. They might even find some way to supplement their savings. And so on the 10th of November, 1959, Joseph and Mary Carpenter came to their ivory tower. If they had guessed how violently the villagers would react to what they termed outsiders, taking up residence in the lighthouse, they might have hesitated. But they had no way of knowing how proud and hidebound, how steeped in tradition the islanders were. Their troubles began as soon as they reached the dock. First, there was no boat for rent to ferry them across the small strip of water from the island itself to the lighthouse. Finally, when Joseph, in desperation, bought one, he paid $50 for an old flat-bottomed scow, not worth $10. Supplies were next, and here, too, Joseph and Mary met the undisguised resentment of the villagers. The villagers, When Mary protested, the prices marked on the shelves were much lower than the prices they had paid. The storekeeper merely grunted, ah, not to outsiders. From the very beginning, everything went the same way. It was very clear that Gull Island wanted no part of squatters in the lighthouse. And the sooner Joseph and Mary Carpenter headed back to the mainland, the better it would be for all concerned. Joseph would have gone back too, many, many times, but for some strange reason, Mary would not leave. Especially she would not leave after she found in the lighthouse storeroom, the old driftwood cradle. Don't ask me to go now, Joseph, she pleaded. I, I can't explain why, I don't know why. I only know that our baby has to be born here. Later, if you still wish to go, I'll go. Oh, indeed, I'll gladly go, but, but not yet. So the carpenter stayed. November lengthened into December. Joseph's disease, aggravated by the conditions around him, grew worse. His arms trembled more, and it became harder and harder for him to make the trips to the village for supplies and kerosene, especially for kerosene, for it was heavy and awkward to handle, and he could bring only a little at a time. It seemed to Joseph that the villagers, watching him trying to haul the five-gallon cans, were just waiting for the day when he could no longer manage them at all. It was as if they were saying, when the kerosene's gone, they'll have to move. They'll have no heat, no light, no food. The disease would take many years to break Joseph Carpenter's body. But what the islanders did to his spirit in six short weeks was a terrible thing. And what the entire experience did to his own soul was even worse. For gradually, Joseph began to hate the place and the people and even God himself. Until that Christmas morning. There was no doctor on Gull Island. Joseph was with her when their son, a fine, strong, handsome man-child, was born at midnight on Christmas Eve. Only Joseph was with her to wonder, wonderingly pick up his son in his arms and to stand straight and tall, not trembling now, looking across the strip of see to the land where they had been refused room and kindness and understanding. And then a strange thing happened to Joseph. Afterward, he tried to put it into speech, but there were no words. He only knew that as he held the baby in his arms, a great joy suddenly welled up within him, and he wanted to share the supreme moment of happiness with all the world. In that instant, there was no longer any room inside him for fear of his disease or for hatred. He turned from the bed, still holding the baby close against his chest, lest his weakened hand should slip. And he knew as he looked across the strip of sea to the land beyond that nothing mattered anymore. All the frustration and bitterness were gone as if they had never been. Here in Joseph's arms was only hope, hope eternal, hope born in his son. Just as it has been born in every child since the world began. 
Gently, Joseph gave the baby back to Mary and watched as she laid him in the driftwood cradle. And then because he wanted to share this moment with the people on Gull Island, because he wanted to shout out loud to them, behold my son, may he grow up a credit to your village. Because he wanted to say, I'm not angry anymore, nor hurt or afraid. I only want to share with you this happiest moment of my life. He took from his precious store of kerosene enough fuel to fill the five huge lamps in the lighthouse windows. He then set them blazing like large candles in the dark and the five beams spread out in five directions like the points of a great star. Some of the islanders saw the light. A few of them thought it might even be a distress signal, but they couldn't have cared less. And so unconcerned, they went about their affairs. It was six o'clock on Christmas morning before they really found out. Six o'clock when the radio commentators first began to flash across the nation the story of the miracle. How could the villagers have guessed at exactly midnight that Mary Carpenter had given birth to her firstborn son and laid him in a driftwood cradle shaped like a manger? And how could they have possibly known that at 10 minutes past 12, just as Joseph lit the lamps to proclaim to the world that his son had been born, the pilot of a giant airliner lost in fog off the coast with his plane's communication system jammed suddenly had seen the heavens open up and around him and a huge five-pointed beacon shine through. The pilot tried to explain later to the reporters in Portland what had happened. But like Joseph, he could not put it into words. All he could tell was that as the sky broke into light around him, he saw in one horrified instant that his plane was heading straight toward a crash, landing in the center of Gull Island with its multitude of snug little homes clustered close together. Gull Island with its family sleeping, unaware of danger. Sharply he veered his craft back into the upper channel of air and out to sea. Then with the beacon to guide him, he found his course and like a wise man led by a star carried his 88 passengers to a three point landing in Portland, leaving Christmas Island quietly asleep under its Christmas star. And now you know how the island got its name and why the villagers built the house for Joseph and Mary Carpenter. You know too why Christmas Island seems different from much of the rest of the world. The reason is that a spirit pervades the island, a spirit of love, understanding, and tolerance that is rare and genuine and wonderful. It is a spirit that never can die because it is part of the miracle of Christmas, which after all began with the birth of a baby and the star of forgiveness his, his father lit to save our world. That's the story of Christmas Island. Light, hope, danger averted. Can I just say this? I think there are some people here tonight who if you will let the light of Jesus shine in you, you will also be a light from a lighthouse that will cause danger in other people's lives to be averted. I believe every year something in my life will help some, somebody somewhere come to escape the death and destruction that the enemy has prepared for them. So I want to challenge you. I want you, I want you to be the same 
I want you to have the same motivation. You are the light of the world. And your light will bring hope into someone. You just weren't born into the kingdom of God so you can have a nice life. The Bible says you're a part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is Genesis chapter 12, which says, I'm gonna bless you so you can be a blessing. That's the, that's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna bring you into preservation, I'm gonna fill you up with the Holy Spirit so you can be a light to someone else. And don't smother the light. So tonight, can I just challenge you? Let's, let's just don't enjoy the season with all the light for ourselves. Let's just don't keep it to ourselves. Let's share the light of Jesus with everybody. See my what happened. Now, in a few weeks, actually, I think it's three weeks from this Friday night, is a Christmas Eve service in here. There will be three services, two, four, and six, and this place will be full. Half of them, at least half of them, I've never seen before. People bring their families, their friends. It's funny how people will come to some event like this and you just ask them and they come. I wish I could tell you all the stories of people I encounter at the door who tell me their story of how they came to church how they came to Jesus, how light was brought. I had one woman who just moved here from California tell me, he says, Pastor Ken, this is just this last week. Pastor Ken, this is the most welcoming, connecting church I've ever been in my life. Well, so thank you for doing something, but we gotta do more. You see, there's an old song that we used to sing. Actually, a famous singer would sing it. And it, it, it was about uh, the life of Jesus and how he was so filled with the hope of Jesus and the light. And this came, this whole sense of God came into him after Jesus was resurrected because he saw the resurrection of Jesus. And then he said this, in the song, it's just powerful. I gotta tell somebody. I gotta tell somebody. People, we gotta tell somebody. Now, if you don't, if, if this isn't, if this, isn't, if, if this is not light, lighting your candle or fueling your spiritual juices, then you better ask Jesus for help tonight. I mean, what do you do? Lord, you better light my candle tonight. And we're gonna pray for you in just a minute. But I hope you catch the spirit of what I'm saying tonight. It's the seed, you are the, guys, you have so much more strength than, I'm telling you, it seems like yesterday I was your age. I still have, in my brain, I'm 25. I still, I still think that. You know, you, you don't, you don't, your mind doesn't change. Your body just goes, ah, you know, you can't, don't have enough, you don't have the same strength. You, you gotta take naps once in a while. You, have the, you know, I've had four, four transplants in my body. I've ha I have two knee replacements, two hip replacements. My whole body is, and I'm looking at maybe some shoulders and I'm thinking, man, I am the bionic man. <laughs> Your, your body doesn't, your whole being doesn't work like it used to. But you have strength. The, that's what the Bible says. The young man has strength. The old have gray hair and wisdom. <laughs> so we work together. We're like Esther and Mordecai. We work together. But can I just say, you guys, step up. Start shining. 
start start delighting in Jesus and just man this is the greatest thing ever it is it is you you can't get high in any other thing like you can get high in Jesus I promise you I I know it so I guess I got to close here sometime but I'm, I'm just challenging you tonight let the light of Jesus flow through you in such a way that you would become the lighthouse on Goal Island. And you'll save passenger after passenger, plane after plane. And we're gonna see this place filled. I, I just, I still don't get it. I think we have such a great church. We have the best people in the world. You're, you're the best people in my estimation. We have, the, we, have, we have the best children, the best kids, the best adults. The, I mean, everything's the best in my mind. I can't figure out why this church just isn't packed to overflowing. I'm serious. I'm going, because God gave me a vision when he first built this building. I went out in the foyer and we just put the, put the windows in. All of a sudden, I just, I, this was kind of a living vision. I saw people outside everywhere beating on the windows to get in. And I've always been waiting. And they could, for some reason, the door was locked. And I've always been waiting for the day when we could open the doors and all the people could come in. Well, the door's been open. The light has to shine. Let's see him come in. Amen? It's all about the light of Jesus through us. And it's, it's just the most exciting life. I call it the great adventure. You know, life isn't always easy. But can I tell you this? Once I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the... The, the, anybody go begging for bread in the sense that, you know, they just lose everything. I see God just do some most amazing miracles. And I have greater trust, belief, hope, delight in God now than I've ever had. I'm learning more now. I'm more hungry. I just, man, if you keep, if you keep just feeding the hunger in you with Jesus, you'll just beam like a light. And there's a lot, there's so many people out there that need your light. How many Keegans are still out there? How many of you guys are still out there? So I, I want to, uh, I would just challenge you. Let this be a season that, and I keep challenging people this all the time. Just think, if you just led one person to light this year, that would double this room just right here. And if that person would lead one, and. Do you know how long they say it would take if every believer in the world led someone to Jesus in just six months and how that would replicate? It would take only 18 months before the whole world was saved. I don't know how that works, but that's what they say. Come on, let's start living Jesus, loving Jesus and let light, light of Jesus shine, okay? Smile a lot, love people. I tell you, just love people. Just love people. And let the light of Jesus just come out of you. Because there's a whole bunch of people your age that just need Jesus. Your, your generation is lost. It's, it's deeply just disillusioned. It's just totally disillusioned because we as the church haven't exampled the light. We haven't done it very well. But we can start now. Come on, we can start now. Praise God, that was good, Pastor. That was good.
Okay, would you bow your heads? I, I just, I want to pray for you. I, I'd like to pray this prayer first. Is there anyone here that would say, uh, Pastor Ken, I, I'm not living a very lighted life right now. And, and I need a spark. I need, I need uh, Jesus to come into me in such a powerful way that it just changed things. If that's you right now, every head bowed, eye closed. If that's you, you just want the spark of Jesus to come in you. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've prayed a prayer. Maybe you haven't. But you want it to start tonight. Just lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand. All I, all I want to do is pray for you. I see one, two, three at least. Four, five, six. Anyone else? Okay, you may put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. I said seven. Wow, praise God. Uh, church, can you just pray with me this prayer along with those that lifted their hands? Because I believe as we pray this prayer and they pray it, something's going to happen. Pray it with me. Dear Jesus, light a fire in me. Let the light of Jesus now begin to shine. I believe in you. I trust in you. I give my whole life to you. Let your anointing now touch my life. I commit myself to serve you all the days of my life. Make me a brand new person. Change me. Transform me. I give myself to you. May I be a lighthouse to demonstrate to others the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.